0: This podcast is brought to you by Horson's Wealth Management Limited. We are a team of independent financial advisors. This in no way constitutes financial advice, advice should always be sought independently as it should be tailored to each individual's needs and aspirations. Any opinions we express are those of the individual and may not be the reflective opinion of the firm as a whole. It is important to note that the value of your investments can go down as well as up so you could get back less than you invested. Hawson's Wealth Management Limited is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority number 586696. Joining us today we have myself, Natasha Fathers, Director of Horson's Wealth Management and three of the advisory team, Matthew Whittam, David Tidswell, and Willem Law.
1: This is David Tiswell, welcoming you to the Hallsons Wealth Management Podcast. Today, we're going to be looking back at 2022, which was a very eventful year, uh, looking at the key things that happened in financial planning and the investment markets, and we're also going to uh, look forward to 2023 to get a view from around the table as to what we think may be happening over the next 12 months or so.
0: Great. Cheers, David. So I suppose... um to put it bluntly, some people have boldly said that 2022 was the worst and most turbulent year some investors have ever seen. Um, certainly for some younger investors, they've probably not had any experience of a crash like the financial crisis of 2008, which some that have been in the market longer will remember, won't they? I think, from my opinion, 2022 seemed to just fly past in the blink of an eye, despite being crammed full of lots of various financial events. Um, But, you know, a new year, new opportunity to recap and and look forward. I feel that 2022 started very much with COVID still in the headlines, but we did return to some normal-ish life. Obviously, February saw the tragic news of the Russian military invasion of Ukraine. Inflation was making markets nervous. We've got issues with central banks grappling to control this by raising interest rates. And the UK had obviously already started that party, followed by the US Fed and the European Central Bank in uh, July. And aside to all this, we've got wholesale energy prices rising and a 54% was act- rise was actually recorded in April 2022, which is humongous, isn't it? We're already familiar with the term cost of living crisis. And people thought that was going to come and go, but I, I very much feel it's here to stay, isn't it? And then on top of that, we had a U-term budget pension schemes scramble into yield returns on the back of a bond market change and as if it couldn't get any worse our longest reigning monarch her majesty the queen passes away as well so it was some year to say the least so what are the main topics we want to talk about i think covering the war china supply chains inflation interest rates cost of living looking at some of the markets and how they compare but also looking forward at what you know people can be doing and how investors should be thinking because volatility and, and bad news, despite it selling and, you know, making us all feel somewhat nervous. It is and does pose a great opportunity. So Matt, let's talk about war and China and supply chains.
2: The war in Ukraine was the thing, the catalyst at the beginning of the year that sort of set the tone, didn't it, I think, really. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the market to that point in time. Uh, and there was a lot of uncertainty from an investor's point of view, wondering you know is the worst going to happen um how bad can it get who's going to get involved to what extent um are the other nations going to get involved uh and is that going to be a catalyst for something much much bigger uh thankfully that didn't materialize up to now and it has almost been isolated in the ukraine and in that region rather than spreading further into europe um which i think would have that would have seen investment markets even worse perhaps than than they did do particularly in in europe um had things escalated further um but yes around that sort of march april time there was you know it was a lot of i think clients particularly were very very worried about the effects that um that that the the war in ukraine and the conflict would have um not just on their investments but on their, their lives, I think. And, and it got, we found a lot of people got cold feet, didn't we, a little bit around that time in terms of doing anything new, committing to anything. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really uh, tough time
0: for, for everyone, I think. Markets hate uncertainty, don't they? Yeah, they do. So even though you sometimes then got the certainty of a war, markets tend to then react positively. It's all of that hearsay and not knowing what's happening that really does cause a lot of volatility, doesn't it? David, anything to add?
1: Yeah, a good summary there, Matt. I think the the key things to look at here are there's the uncertainty and the concern, as you said, because the war had started. uh, How bad is it going to get? But as that sort of happened, markets will tend to overreact a little bit to start with. uh, And then they'll perhaps see uh, that things aren't as bad as they thought. But over time, people realise, well, as horrendous as the war is, it is having some actual implications for us around supply chains. Ukraine. One of the biggest producers of grain and um, sort of lots of other foodstuffs weren't able to do the shipping. And we'll probably all remember in the news that was pushing prices up a lot, lot higher. Russia did do a bit of a deal and said, okay, we'll let you let some boats out with the grain. So it was eased off a bit. But picking up on what Natasha said, uh, you know, with the cost of living now, you go to the shop, we're all seeing it. You know, your tin of beans that was 85p, Is now £1.70 and i think that is going to stay with us for a while Uh, and even if the war ended today those problems are still going to be there it's going to take a quite a while to reset things the the oil in particular that the 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 situation with
2: how much oil is produced and uh sent across from russia to to other nations and the 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 retail costs that Mm. we saw um for a barrel for a barrel of oil um that really did produce the the shock at the pumps that we saw Mm. back when uh, i think diesel hit two pounds a litre at at one point and it was over a hundred pounds wasn't it to fill up a family car a normal family car yeah family car Mm. so that that coupled with the the price at the of the shops um and the price of your everyday groceries alongside the, the price of fuel and then you've got the the price of gas going up and the fuel crisis there with in terms of heating your house and the electricity um you know you've got triple whammy almost there haven't you which really really hit families hard
0: coming from all angles mm, really yeah. and then on top of that we've got banks increasing interest rates which then make mm. people that are borrowing nervous um so you know your cost yeah. of debt as well is is increasing
2: i think that's something that really if like i've felt with my clients a bit I had mm. a few clients contact me with We've got mortgages and big mortgages and they had concerns about the interest rates going up and wondering whether they should take some money out of their investments to pay chunks off their mortgage so that then when they remortgaged and the rate was higher they weren't as badly affected by it because they had less of debt so the interest uh, higher interest rate but on a lower debt so that was a conversation that i had with quite a few clients who
1: were very concerned about the how the interest rates would affect their affordability going forward i mean if you look at the bigger picture here i think it's interesting that you see the connectivity with all of these issues. So, if this happens regards logistics, then that's going to push that price up mm-hmm. and if if the uh the suppliers, the food suppliers, it's going to cost them more to get uh the goods into the shops, so then we see that as consumers because the prices are going up so it's like a a vicious circle really, uh, and what we've all got to look for is the way to break that. Now, you're saying they're at around you know you're at the pumps and it, it's two pounds a litre. We have seen that move backwards a bit, which is a bit more positive. Uh, and I think if you look in the from the investment side of things, yeah, lots of clients contacting you saying, oh, I'm a bit concerned, what should I do? Should I sit tight? Um, is it a good time to put more money in? Well, potentially it is. But people have got to get that confidence back before they're willing to press the green light on things and move things forward.
0: A lot, a lot of analysts are saying that they don't anticipate interest rates staying high. Um, yeah. Which hopefully you know will be the case because um, even at the rate they are, cash returns are still not looking that good for investors. So you know it's not actually causing investors to run, to put their money in cash because the returns are better. Um, I think those that can you know afford to invest and afford to be in for the long term you are still better off staying invested, aren't you? Yeah. We should always try and repay debt if we've got the capital to do it because yeah. you know that's always the right thing to do. But mm-hmm. equally. Should we be you know, disturbing investments at that level yeah. and potentially causing ourselves penalties on debt just through panic of what interest rates are doing?
1: It's important as well, I think, to look beyond the headlines because we have this 24-hour media news cycle now <laughs> yeah. where they're always looking for the big shock headline that says, save us, rejoice as rates go up. It's a great <laughs> time. Yeah, so hold on, let's have a look at that. You were getting half a percent. Now they're going to give you three percent. Inflation's still ten <laughs> yeah. percent. So if we said to you, yeah, put your money into that, you're only going to lose seven percent. That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? With all these things, it's about having a balance mm-hmm. and, and looking beyond that initial reaction. You know, avoid the knee-jerk reaction and, and take a more balanced view. And that's why it's important to have advisors to counsel you through all these things and just say, well, okay, good idea. Let's have a look at it. But is it the right thing for you? value of ourselves supporting our clients
0: some interesting stats so so one thing that um we've certainly seen clients talk about and i'm sure you will second this chaps is the FTSE 100 looks to have done all right why haven't my investments what's happening to the rest of the world um now as advisors we always encourage diversification don't we you shouldn't ever try and second guess one particular stock chase returns you know it's about time you spend within the market rather than trying to time the market, which I know sounds really cheesy. Um, And also, you know, on top of that, spreading your risk across different countries, different sectors, different asset classes. But one thing we have seen is that the FTSE 100 looks particularly favourable because it's returned to its, you know, pre-pandemic levels and other markets haven't. So Willem, do you want to shout us some interesting facts? Because there are some very interesting
3: things to come out of this yeah i think in particular with the FTSE it's quite difficult um to gauge what's going on globally by drawing a comparison just to the footsie especially the 100 because there's so much international money involved there as well and um, just to give an idea of the size that we're competing against in terms of just our cousins across the bottom um, the top company in the S P five hundred, which is Apple, which is a household name, market cap is bigger than the entire FTSE's market cap combined. Um, the money that they lost recently come uh, combined with Amazon's which is up there, maybe the second biggest American stock, they lost something like eight hundred and thirty billion each in twenty twenty two, and our top company shell market gap is 165 so we're looking at crazy crazy disparity between the size of companies in the UK compared to the biggest ones in America.
0: What about returns though Willem how how has the FTSE compared to the likes of the S&P 500?
3: Yeah so since um, 2018 we're looking at 4.2% for the FTSE comparatively the S&P performed something like Forty-seven point three percent even with the 2022 crash. um, I think if you look further back, American stocks rallied much quicker um, when COVID happened as well.
2: I think in in America, they're very tech-heavy in terms of the the stocks in the S&P 500, the biggest 500 companies in America. Uh, And in COVID, particularly the tech stocks were the Mm. ones that really rallied, weren't they? The ones that everyone seemed to have uh, sentiment for uh and had confidence in people think well technology is something that's always developing always evolving and, and is always going to be around and always moving on so i think investors thought yep tech is where to put money so it really inflated the price of those stocks during covid so then when a crash came it was felt a lot more harshly within within that tech industry willem willem said before apple over five years it's up 263 percent over five years as as a stock and that's even taken into consideration that it's it's down sixteen and a half percent in the last twelve months um you know amazon um it's up forty three percent over five years even taking into account being down thirty one percent in the last year um so you can see how how sharp those increases and decreases are in in the uh, in the american in the American market and particularly in the growth stocks So the growth stocks are the companies where there's the, the greater potential for growth over the over the long term. And when you compare that to the FTSE one hundred, FTSE one hundred's really chock full of mainly value stocks. So value stocks are the, the really well established companies that haven't got the potential for that long-term growth anymore. They might pay a good income through a dividend, but they're not companies that are really going to grow. And that's what uh, that's what that's what's mainly in the FTSE one hundred. Uh so yeah, FTSE one hundred, not particularly interesting, not very much in the way of tech. But what we have seen recently is there's things like financials um, and oil stocks in the FTSE 100 and they've done better than most others because in a high inflation high interest rate kind of environment uh, those are the types of stocks that do well um, shell oil stock have seen the price of oil go through the roof and then banks and financials interest rates going up is good for them
3: globally retail stocks have suffered as well because of profit expectations. Um, During COVID, we were sort of trapped in our house with nothing more to do than save and spend on online retail stores. I know ASOS, for example, has suffered massively. It's down 80 plus percent in the last year. Um, But we're talking about a comparison to a time where we had no other choice but to buy from online retailers. So it's a tough like Matt says, with this forty-three percent return for Amazon over five years, but thirty-one percent down last year, that profit expectation miss is massive.
0: I think as well, we have got to be considerate of interest rates rising and that affecting the future projections for mm. these companies as well. You know, if they've ended twenty twenty-one projecting forward at a, a certain earnings level and then not maybe anticipated the interest rate rises correctly, then they come in. That is going to have a future effect on their potential earnings and that didn't help either did it
2: no. of course as well with inflation being high as well um you know your, your future earnings might be predicted at two million yeah but then if inflation was at two percent that two million's worth a lot more than yeah. it is now because inflation is now at ten percent so you've got an eight percent almost loss mm. in your predicted profit from inflation mm. being so high yeah
0: absolutely Okay, so let's talk about inflation and interest rates, because I think this is one thing that has been very apparent during 2022 is inflation has been out of control and we've had interest rates rising. Um, So what do we in terms of inflation? Inflation is driven by the being an increase in supply of money. And Willem, you rightly identified earlier that during 2020, people were sat at home with not a lot to do apart from go online and spend money to entertain themselves. And a lot of people were doing you know home improvements buying all these materials for that and that is going to then increase what people think is the supply of money and therefore this is what we were then grappling during 2022 was the in- inflation increasing on the back of it in order to combat inflation a central bank such as the bank of england or the fed the federal reserve in the us or the european central bank their tool in order to com- to control inflation is to increase their interest rates to try and then restrict the amount of money in supply, which then hopefully reduces inflation. But what we were seeing in certainly last year is that people were struggling with the cost of living and then having to pay more for it and then having to pay more to borrow. And it was, you know, almost unknown territory, wasn't it, for it all to be happening at once. So while we're talking about the increase of money supply and obviously people sat at home during 2020 able to spend money one other really valid thing is is the housing market isn't it willem so you know what's happened there i mean we
3: touched upon um a bit earlier in terms of what people were able to spend money on but there was also another side to that what people weren't able to spend money on and even the best spenders in the world probably had a bit more surplus cash to put aside towards um, either buying a house or just at least attempting to get a deposit together. I think personally, my experience was I had a lot of friends who were pretty rampant spenders um, pre-COVID and have been post that were able to establish a sizeable deposit towards the house, which I think has led to this increase in supply for houses. There was also a situation which was pretty unprecedented in terms of this rent freeze, um, which allowed people a a bit of breathing room to get out of this idea that we call a rent trap. So yeah, that that created crazy supply for houses, um, which is reflected in the prices that we saw them rise
2: to. Yeah, i think as well you had a lot of people who um perhaps work in a city or in london uh in in that sort of area and they were looking for more space they Mm -hmm. were looking for a bigger garden or they were looking to make significant extensions and improvements to their houses uh which has has pushed the prices up further um people moving out of london and buying up houses in suburbs in other areas for cash and overinflated prices has, has skewed the housing housing market there's a lot of competition for houses again which we hadn't seen for a long time uh, since pre-2007 perhaps where we'd have houses going to seal bids to the highest bidder and people really wanting to have a bit of extra space and a garden because they thought this situation with covid and being in lockdown was going to go on for a lot longer than perhaps it did um so there's a, yeah, a real clamor for space and buying a uh, a bigger house and yeah, we saw i think with people forced out of the office for eight hours a day want
3: a bit more breathing room um, at home. If that's going to be your office, your home, everything all in one, you want a bit of green space. And I I think people with city wages, being able to afford houses outside the city um, at a premium because they've got that income or extra capital behind them, has added to things like these sealed bids and Mm -hmm. because they can afford with more opportunity for them to buy at a higher price you know, without feeling the effect
2: At very low interest rates as well, because yeah. at that time interest rates were at a historical low, borrowing was very, very cheap, so people were able to spend, that, that pushes the price of houses up, because people uh, have a much more affordability on a mortgage with a much lower rate for a higher sized property, a higher value property. And now we're seeing the, the effects of that with interest rates going up. People have mortgaged themselves to the hilt on, mm. uh, on these big properties and they're not going to be able to afford these repayments that were at 0.25% and now are
0: at 3.5%. Yet another reason why you know analysts expect rates not to get out of control because mm. the affordability isn't there to suffer that.
2: Yeah. I think once inflation comes back under control, uh, as it's showing signs of doing, um, the likelihood is that interest rates will come down. Yeah. And if there is a recession, um, a mechanism of, of not being in too deep a recession and for a recession not to carry on for too long is to bring inflation in, in interest rates down. Yeah. So the Bank of England, although they've just pushed the interest rates up, they can just as easily bring them back down again in a year's time or if they need to, to, to stimulate the economy again.
0: I think moving on from that, um, we talked about spending and what people spend money on. one thing that is really clear with 2022 and the cost of living crisis as as it's been known as is that people will move from what's called a luxury expenditure item to those that are deemed more essential and it's quite interesting to see that a lot of the stocks that haven't done well have been those that are deemed more of a luxurious spend you know the the, you you gas and electric and your bills and food you know people got no choice but to buy that in order to live whereas you know, paying for Amazon or, and obviously other companies are available. That's not necessarily something where people say, actually I can't allocate the funds to that. Um, I know Matt, we were looking at some stats, weren't we? And, and certainly the higher end.
2: Yeah. The higher end brands. So the luxury, some luxury brands are actually still doing very well. It's the more than middle, middle brands. So yeah. like the, the old adage that the rich get carry on being rich and the, the poor get poorer and that's that's what's being hit that middle of the road kind of um item i mean going back to um the tech stocks and that sort of thing if you want to buy the latest ipad or you want to subscribe to netflix that's the the, the, the two things that aren't aren't essential are they as you said before yeah. and, you know netflix uh, a lot less a lot of people are canceling it people are canceling sky um the netflix share price that's another one that's plummeted in America that's led to to, to that decline um but yeah some of the luxury brands the the high-end brands such as your Burberry's um and um I think watches of Switzerland is another one which is high-end watches in the UK they're having a a really good year in particular and that's quite surprising to see um when, when you think we've got across the living crisis but yeah rich people still have money to spend
0: one thing we've talked about, uh, Matthew and, and Chaps, is the term a balanced portfolio. Now, obviously, it's a job of your advisor to assess your level of risk that you're comfortable to take. But given that level of risk that you take will also depend on the actual physical makeup of the assets within that, won't it?
2: That's it. And when we talk about diversification, we're yeah. talking about that mix of assets, not just within a balanced portfolio, but with any portfolio.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, rule of thumb, and I'm talking very genetic, you know, generally here, Lower risk means more safer deemed assets, such as cash and bonds and maybe property. Higher risk, you tend to dump more of those seen safer assets and you chase stocks and shares more. So equity content, which again comes with that volatility. A typical balanced portfolio historically will have contained about 60% equity, so shares, and the other 40% will have been spread throughout things like government bonds, corporate bonds, property, commodities, so you know, raw basic materials, and maybe some of the what they call alternative assets, which are a relatively new term, deemed to find a return dependent upon the market condition.
2: We're seeing a lot more of those alternative assets now coming into portfolios yeah. with the, the destabilization of the bond market and the volatility in equities there's uh, an example of that was that hypnosis funding.
0: hypnosis yeah so
2: that's a fund that buys up the rights to um music to, to music so um i think was it um bruce springsteen has sold his back catalogue to hypnosis perhaps uh, one of the artists hypnosis now makes money every time uh, a bruce springsteen track is streamed or. Is used in an advert, they they get the rights to it and they get the money from it. So this fund is a fund you can invest in and you benefit from the returns that it makes through all these artists' tracks
0: being played. But it's not your traditional style of investment and it can't be akin to, you know, an equity or a bond. So Mm -hmm. it falls into this alternative asset space that we're seeing within multi asset funds. So Again, quite exciting, really, and it shows that the times are moving for investors. And, you know, providing you've got a good advisor and, you know, they are doing their due diligence on the fund managers and the underlying assets, then, you know, you should get some of these exciting new investments that are deemed to be, you know, a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it's important we move with the times. You know, gone is the day where you have sixty percent equity, forty percent bonds, and nothing else. You know, there was a lot of talk of the death of the sixty forty split during twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, wasn't it there? Was. In terms of the fund managers.
2: I think we had an email every other week about that <laughs> yeah. the death yeah. of
1: the sixty uh, forty
2: portfolio.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And of course, everybody is different, aren't they? As we well know, with all our clients, yeah. they'll have varying priorities. Uh, and uh, you know the best part of our job is sitting down with them, looking at what they need to do and helping them uh, plan the perfect strategy for them.
0: Yeah, and you know certainly sitting down with people for an initial uh, chat consultation, whether it's face to face or on the telephone or via a you know a web platform such as you know Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever others are available. Um, you know we offer that initial meeting free of charge at Horseman's Wealth Management. So. By all means you can visit our website um to get in touch or make contact with us via email. Um so you know, if you want that free initial consultation, then you know by all means get in touch.
1: Effectively, what we're saying is 2022 was uh, oh. as a, as an observer you'd say it was interesting. <laughs> As an investor, you'd say it was concerning. <laughs> Either way, it, it's happened. Uh, but the basic rules for investing and, and the type of advice that we give our clients is look at things over the longer term, yeah. diversify, be as flexible as you can, be as tax efficient as you can. Yeah. And if you have any concerns at all, get on the phone to your advisor. That's what they're there for. We can then engage with the, with the fund managers. There are all sorts of opportunities and specialist strategies that we can deploy. Let's make sure we're doing the right things for you. Now, let's just keep talking.